0: Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit CRNAFinancialPlanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, BeyondTheMaskPodcast.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, clinical edition. My name is Jeremy Heiner. And I'm Sass Elisha. And in these episodes,
2: we're going to talk about clinical anesthesia topics, stuff that you can take into the operating room today. We'll talk about case management, pharmacology, critical events, and the most up-to-date topics. And we're going to put it all in a very short amount of time because we know that you're busy and today we're gonna talk about Jeremy Heiner's favorite
1: topic favorite yes this is this is true I love talking about airway stuff anything airway love it and I will unfortunately talk way too long about it (laughs) we're gonna but we know your times valuable so I am gonna I'm gonna keep it together today and we are gonna get this done in a power-packed episode We're gonna give you the nuts and bolts. We are gonna talk today about flexible intubation, the technique of using a flexible intubating scope, previously known as a fiber optic scope. So SAS. before we get to it, it's go time.
0: We know CRNAs are busy with limited time. That's why we wanna bring you clinical updates and reviews that are pertinent to your anesthesia practice. This is Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. Together, Jeremy and Sass have a combined 40 years of teaching anesthesia students and CRNAs. They speak nationally and at state associations and also continue to practice anesthesia in the operating room. Jeremy and Sass author and edit several anesthesia textbooks, including Nurse Anesthesia, the core anesthesia textbook used in the CRNA profession.
2: Now. Are we going to be able to use this information practically? Well, if you show up at this year's annual congress in Seattle, yes, you will, because we are running an airway simulation lab.
1: Yep, the AANA simulation lab in Seattle. We're there. We're going to be there with our smiling faces. And one of the stations that we have ready to go, that we'll have ready to go for you is a flexible intubation station, so an awake flexible intubation station. We're excited about that. There's several other airway practical stations, the airway techniques that we'll be practicing in the airway lab, and uh, so come on by, check it out. We're excited to to be able to educate there and really, really looking forward to it.
2: All right, so today, flexible intubation technique. We're gonna be talking about some troubleshooting tips And this is certainly going to help you place the endotracheal tube, certainly in an emergency, but also um, in a patient, ideally uh, in a patient who's awake, who you believe has a very difficult airway and it would be very difficult to intubate them or
1: manage their airway. Yeah, so despite it being a rare procedure, awake intubation is still used and it's still part of every single airway algorithm out there. All right. Now, earlier I had mentioned that the terminology has changed. And in anesthesia, we're so used to saying uh, a fiber optic scope or fiber optic intubation. And that's the terminology and the technique that we have been using for decades. But now there are newer bronchoscopes that no longer use fiber optic technology. So we no longer have these scopes where they have the fiber optic bundles running through them. Now the term is flexible scope intubation that's the term used for the technique and the device is termed a flexible intubating scope so flexible intubating scope is what we're using for awake intubation and no longer a fiber optic scope so jeremy
2: since you're so into the airway and you've done so much research into it can you tell us a little bit about the history related to fiber optic intubation
1: Yeah, you bet. So the roots of flexible intubation, they were really first described in the 1950s. And physicians at that time were transmitting images, visual images, through the flexible fiber optic bundles. And then in the late 1960s, there was an English anesthetist. His name was Peter Murphy who used a fiber optic scope to aid in the nasal intubation of a patient with Stills disease. And this is an idiopathic systemic inflammatory disorder that causes severe arthritis. And in this particular patient, it was of the cervical spine. And that's the background. So for decades, we've been using fiber optic scopes and that fiber optic terminology has is now ingrained in, in what we say in daily anesthesia practice. Okay, so now for this podcast, what we want to do, what SAS and I want to do is we want to focus on the procedure, the uh, awake overall awake intubation procedure. And we mentioned earlier that it still is a major part of every airway difficult algorithm out there. The ASA, the Canadian Airway Focus Group, the Difficult Airway Society, they all have awake intubation in their difficult airway algorithms. And some will say that Awake intubation, using a flexible intubating scope, is better tolerated than either direct or video-assisted laryngoscopy. And believe it or not, for awake intubation, you can use any one of these three devices. But again, today, we're going to focus on the use of a flexible intubating scope for awake intubation. Now, talking about the procedure as a whole, Flexible scope intubation is is much more difficult to perform when a patient is under general anesthesia than when the patient is awake. And, And here's why. Because there's a loss of pharyngeal muscle tone, which then leads to upper airway collapse and makes the passage of the flexible intubation scope a little bit more difficult. In addition, the patient's generally laying flat, laying supine when they're having general anesthesia as opposed to them sitting up for an awake intubation procedure. And when they're sitting up, their airways open, it's much easier to pass the scope through the upper airway. Most cases, most awake intubation cases, are you, we use the oral route. Um, however, the nasal route can be used, especially if there is a, a, a severely limited mouth opening in a patient or a patient may have a, an incredibly strong gag reflex. But in another episode, we will talk about anesthetizing the airway. So certainly, if you are doing an awake intubation, you have to properly anesthetize the airway. So stay tuned. The next episode that we produce will be an episode called Topical Thunder, and we will go through topically anesthetizing an airway in preparation for awake intubation. Okay, Sass, so now let's talk about the indications and contraindications of an awake intubation procedure.
2: Yeah, I'll start with indications. So... You know, this is our bread and butter, nurse anesthetist. So we are looking at anything that looks abnormal, limited mouth opening, a short thyromental distance, any other airway abnormality, a mass, uh, trouble breathing when they lie flat, changes in the quality of the voice, unstable cervical spine where you can't manipulate their airway or change their head position. Of course, airway trauma, prone or lateral positioning, needing the ability to quickly rescue an airway. So, And and of course, this is a limited list. There are more reasons. Certainly making sure that we look at if there is a prior anesthetic record to see how difficult someone may be to to, uh, ventilate and intubate is certainly one of those things that may lead you uh, to believe that it, there is an indication for um, for intubation.
1: While the patient's awake.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: All right. So in terms of contraindications, there are no absolute contraindications for flexible intubation. And pretty much if we as anesthesia providers assess that an airway should be managed while a patient's awake, then that's there's no contraindication to that. However, there are certain circumstances and situations where it, may be a little more difficult or even impossible to perform an awake intubation. So some of these circumstances would be blood or copious secretions in the airway, a need for rapid control of the airway because flexible intubation is is not a very quick procedure, even though we can do it in a timely manner. Um, There may be clinicians or practitioners who aren't as used to using or experienced in a flexible uh, scope intubation. And if the patient will not cooperate, that's going to make it very, very difficult for this procedure.
0: Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com.
2: All right, so let's talk about setup and let's talk about equipment. So Where are we gonna get our equipment? And our equipment most often is gonna be locked up somewhere. Hopefully you know where it is in your anesthesia department in a difficult airway cart. What are you gonna need? Of course, you're gonna need the scope and a video monitor. Of course, you're gonna be checking it to make sure it all works. Bite blocks, specialized oral airways, adapters for ventilation, and possibly an endoscopy face mask. You're gonna need anti-fogging agent, and also lubricating agent. And then we're going to talk in a little bit about nerve blocks and topicalization for the airway. In addition, video laryng- laryngoscopy or supraglottic devices can certainly be used and they are designed to facilitate endotracheal intubation alongside the flexible scope.
1: Many people will call that the double setup technique where they're using the video laryngoscope to uh, essentially drive the video the flexible scope into the airway. It gives a third person view of where that scope is, the flexible scope is in relation to the opening, the, the glottic opening. Sass and I like to call that the vifi technique. Video inclusive flexible intubation. Vifi. That's right. You heard it first on Beyond the Mask. Jerry and SAS, clinical edition, Wi-Fi. Now, earlier I had talked about these newer scopes uh, being, being called flexible intubating scopes. And the majority of these are actually disposable, single patient use scopes. Uh, there are still some scopes that need to be cleaned and reused, but essentially these scopes are made up of a flexible insertion cord that contains either optical fibers or a small camera. Most of them contain small cameras at the end. And then of course there's a bright light source, and this, these camera, this camera and the channel transmits images to either an eyepiece or a camera head and then a video screen. Now the cord includes working channels for suction, the administration of oxygen or local anesthetics, and attaches to a handle. Now there's also a cable that's contained within this cord, and this cable is what You can use, it's connected to a trigger mechanism on the handle, and that will allow the tip of the scope, depending on which way you manipulate the trigger mechanism with your thumb on the handle, it will manipulate the tip either up or down. Now, it's important to use a flexible scope that is narrow enough to fit through an appropriately sized endotracheal tube. So adult flexible intubating scopes, they're typically 60 centimeters in length with a diameter of 3.8 to 4.2 millimeters. So these scopes, a lot of them will fit through a 5.5 millimeter internal diameter endotracheal tube. If you're using that small of a tube, definitely make sure that it is lubricated so it can fit over the, the channel cord easily. Pediatric flexible intubating scopes have diameters that range from 2.2 millimeters to 3.1 millimeters. And it's important to have a scope with a tube that isn't too big over the scope, because what can happen is the tube can angle on the scope and when you try to pass it through the laryngeal opening, it can get hung up because it's not properly fitted on the scope. One thing that is important to mention when doing an awake flexible intubation is a lot of times when we're doing this, we're standing and we're facing the patient. So if that's the case, just realize that what you're used to seeing on the monitor when using video laryngoscopy is going to be flipped 180 degrees. So instead of the epiglottis on the top of the screen, it's now going to be those posterior cartilages, the retinoid cartilages that you're going to see on the top of the screen at the 12 o'clock position. And the epiglottis is now going to be at the bottom or six o'clock position.
2: So now let's move into patient preparation. So a couple things you need to be aware of. So one of the first things is to be able to give an anticylolog such as glycopyrrolate usually 0.1 or 0.2 milligrams IV work pretty well. You're gonna need to give that about 15 minutes to really work, and that's certainly gonna decrease the airway secretions, which are gonna be important for your ability to visualize. Because the patient is gonna be awake or sedated, um, it's gonna be important to think about the possibility of what is the risk of aspiration in that particular patient. And if you believe the risk is high, Uh, administering pre-op aspiration prophylaxis would be important.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned the patient might be sedated. Sedation may be necessary. It depends on the clinical situation and and how much anxiety your patient has, really. The key with using sedation is to not over-sedate any patient because you're going to need their cooperation. And so you also want to avoid any hypoventilation, because that may be one of the reasons why you're doing an awake intubation in the first place is because you don't want to put the patient to sleep and have them go apneic there are several different medications that can be used ketamine's been used dexmedetomidine what else midazolam remifentanil can be used if you're comfortable using that so again the keys with awake intubation is you don't want to oversedate the patient because you need their cooperation and you don't want them to breathe less or hypoventilate
2: so if you're gonna be doing this through the nasal cavity and doing a nasal intubation, you're gonna to need to prep with a vasoconstrictor because of course the last thing you're gonna want is for them to bleed. So we could use either use oxymetazoline or we could use phenylephrine, a couple of drops too in both nostrils. And then of course as you're doing the procedure, being very careful and being very gentle and never forcing anything Uh, As we've all been there and we know what happens, patients
1: start to bleed. And the last part of patient preparation is anesthetizing the airway. We can do that topically or we can do injection nerve blocks. Topically, we're going to use high concentrations of of lidocaine, 4% solution or 5% lidocaine paste. And so for this, we will wait for the next episode in two weeks when we talk about a topical Anesthesia technique called topical thunder, and we'll go over the injection nerve blocks during this this uh, future podcast as well.
3: Hello, everyone. Jeremy here. Beyond the Mask is sponsoring a team for Halos again this year. Halos is an organization that offered support when Sharon lost her grandchild Emma two years ago. Halos is a nonprofit that provides emotional and financial support to bereaved parents who have lost a child from miscarriage through age twenty. It's run by parents who have lost a child themselves and want to be there for those parents that need love and support or someone who truly understands what they're going through. The only means of support for Halos is through fundraisers and personal donations. Their largest fundraiser is a walkathon, thon which will take place on August the 6th. Sharon will be emceeing the event. Please consider joining us and donating by going to the show notes to look for the link or by going to the Beyond the Mask Facebook page. Thank you for your consideration.
0: You can find out more information about the 2023 Halos Walk and donate by clicking on the link in the show notes of today's episode on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. 13th Annual Memorial Walk takes place in New Richmond, Wisconsin on August 5th.
2: All right, so now we have all the preparation done. We have all of our equipment, and we're actually going to be starting with the technique. So, Jeremy, why don't you talk us through what do you do in terms of hand and wrist movements?
1: Yeah, so when when I'm performing this procedure, it's all about the, the hand and the wrist, and you're holding the handle of the scope in your dominant hand. Your non-dominant hand is holding toward the end of the scope, and it's keeping that channel straight. Now, what I found very helpful is instead of holding with the dominant hand your arm outward, like you would be holding a sack, sack of potatoes outward without bending your wrist, your arm's going to get really, really tired holding even that lightweight scope if it's, if, if it's extended. And that's frequently that's what I see people doing when they're trying to perform an awake intubation using a scope, especially when somebody's laying supine, is they'll have that scope extended out. An easy fix for that is simply bend your dominant arm all the way back, so it's almost like your hand is resting on your shoulder and now you're holding the scope and it's the handle of the scope is by your your ear and then you're keeping the channel of the scope straight with your non-dominant hand as that holds the the, the end of the scope now down towards the tip. Now earlier we had talked about positioning of individuals in relation to the patient. Now, of course, if you are doing this with a patient who's asleep, they'll be supine. You'll probably be at the head of the bed. If when I'm doing if and when I'm doing an awake intubation, then what I like to do is have the patient sit up. And this allows a couple of things. Number one, it's I feel like it's less anxiety producing for a patient if they're sitting up looking at me as opposed to laying flat and then looking all around them at people hovering over them. And next, it also helps open up the airway when they're sitting up and facing me. So we've got our positioning in relation to the patient. We've got our arm positioning. Now, how do we manipulate the scope through the airway? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the thumb is what triggers is what operates the trigger mechanism on the handle and again that toggles the tip of the scope either up or down. The non-dominant hand is holding the end of the scope about two to four inches from the end and keeping it straight so that if I want to go left or right I simply move my wrist, my dominant hand wrist that's holding the handle of the scope, I move it either left or right to move the end of the tip of the scope left or right. And then my Don dominant hand is also feeding the scope through and keeping the channel nice and straight. Now the flexible intubation scope should be oriented so that the tip can move in the midline. We want to keep that scope in the midline of the patient and if at any point you lose a view of the anatomy or you're not sure where you're at simply back up slowly until you can gain a good visual picture. One of the ways that will help you maintain anatomy views is again, keeping that scope in the midline of the
2: airway. So why don't you talk to the listeners about similarities and differences when we talk about oral intubation and nasal intubation with this technique?
1: Yeah, so let's just hit the high points here. Again, oral intubation is probably the preferred technique for an awake intubation, simply because it's it more likely to avoid bleeding than using the nasal technique. But sometimes we gotta go through the nose. If using the oral technique, again, maintaining a midline positioning is helpful, there are airways for that. The Ovasapien airway, the Williams airway, you can uh, fit a scope through both of those airways and it does help maintain a midline position. There can be a little bit of a struggle sticking an endotracheal tube through those scopes when you get the positioning correct of the scope in the airway but uh so something that you want to make sure the the endotracheal tube fits through before you stick all that in the patient's airway now in terms of depth the initial depth for oral intubation is anywhere from 22 to 24 centimeters so we're, we're well versed in that because we put tubes in patients every day after vision what we're looking for in either technique the oral or nasal intubation is of course the laryngeal opening and we're going to pass the scope through that, and then we're going to visualize the carina. That's really the end game here. We want to make sure that we see the tracheal rings and the carina. We're going to railroad the endotracheal tube that we have preloaded on that scope into the airway, and then we're going to back our scope up from the carina and we can see it in the airway. That is plenty of confirmation that you are in the correct location. A couple of things to consider when using the nasal technique are these. Again, bleeding is an issue, so that's why we're going to be using those vasoconstrictors that Sass was talking about. We'll want to make sure that we topicalize the nasal passages as well. And one thing that I like to do if I'm doing a nasal intubation is dilate the nose, uh, the nasal passage. And so what I'll do initially is ask the patient to blow through each nose and identify which NAR has or which nasal passage has the majority of airflow. And then what I'll use is a nasal airway that has 5% it's lubricated with 5% lidocaine paste. And I'll dilate the nair using that. After I've dilated the nair, I'll use my endotracheal tube and I'll put that in the nasal passage very gently, up to about 13 to 14 centimeters. And that allows me to stick the flexible intubation scope through the through the endotracheal tube. And bypass the whole nasal passage and a lot of times what will happen it'll it will come out the end of the endotracheal tube and you'll be looking down right at the vocal cords so those are some techniques in terms of using the oral or nasal um, route for placing the endotracheal tube so Sass let's finish this up with talking about a couple of troubleshooting techniques so what happens when things aren't going our way
2: Yeah, so you already mentioned when you're having difficulty visualizing, to make sure that the scope is midline. That's really important. If the scope, if you believe the scope is midline and you still can't see, what do you do? And of course, as you mentioned, everybody is looking for the glottic opening. That's the, you know, that's the money shot. If you're unable to see, what should you do? You should back the scope out slowly. And then look for an anatomy that is familiar to you, such as the epiglottis, such as the glottic opening, such as the retinoids, to see and then reorient yourself and move forward again.
1: Yeah, and uh, a helper can, can really make the difference in some of these situations. So if you have an assistant and maybe you're just having a little bit of difficulty, especially in an asleep patient, somebody who's anesthetized and laying supine. Um, an assistant can do a jaw thrust for you. That'll help open the airway a little bit. They, they can pull the tongue forward. Even in an awake patient, that's very helpful in both anesthetizing and in placing the, the flexible intubation scope. So that can be very helpful, these, these different maneuvers. Another helpful technique when doing a, an oral awake intubation is when you get the scope down in the hypopharynx. Sometimes it can be a little difficult to see exactly where you're going. So simply asking the patient to swallow or vocalize or breathe deeply, that can can very frequently improve the visualization of the glottic opening. Fogging, that can sometimes be an issue as well. I find that just putting the the end of the scope in the buccal membrane of the patient or having an anti-fog solution and put that on the end of the scope, that's very helpful. So you wanna make sure that that, uh, that's available. Now, one of the biggest issues with awake intubation and troubleshooting issues is sometimes it can be difficult to advance the, the, the endotracheal tube over the channel of the flexible intubation scope. So earlier we mentioned lubricating the inside of the endotracheal tube, that will help. And what else can happen is the tube can sometimes get hung up at the glottic opening. So what you don't want to do is apply a lot of force. You do not want to dislocate an retinoid or cause any laryngeal trauma. So if you are meeting resistance as you're trying to advance that endotracheal tube into the airway is simply retract the endotracheal tube, turn it 90 degrees on the scope, and very frequently that will fix the problem and the, the tube will enter the airway.
2: So that's a lot of information and it's a lot of information to listen to. And truly comprehend and of course the way we learn best at least for me Mm -hmm. is to actually do it so Jeremy tell me how can they actually practice this with you with us at a particular meeting that's coming up in August of 2023
1: (laughs) yeah so we had mentioned it earlier and let's put another plug in we'll be doing this at the annual Congress this year in Seattle and, you know, you mentioned doing, and you're absolutely right, Sass. So if, if you can't come to the Congress with us this year, go to your anesthesia department and, you know, get there early one day, or, or maybe you get a case that cancels, grab a scope, start practicing with it. That's really, hands-on a scope is what's going to improve your skill set. It's going to improve your confidence because you're going to get used to using the, the, the scope. But absolutely taking the time to do that. to to handle the scope and manipulate it and learn how to use it can be all the difference when you need when when it's time to do an awake intubation
2: yeah that's great advice so again thank you guys so much for hanging out with us in this episode if you like what you've heard and you'd like us to keep doing this and help us grow please consider leaving us a review or sharing this with your anesthesia colleagues
1: All right, CRNA Nation, that is it for this episode. Remember, keep ventilating, and we will catch you on the next episode.
0: Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Jeremy and Sass expressly disclaim any liability in connection with the use of this presentation or its contents by any third party.